I said earlier, we have a guest speaker this morning, actually part of our governing board, our elders, overseers that uh, govern the church. One of them is Mike Harris, and an old friend of mine, and actually I was just thinking, I first met Mike in connection with Young Life. When my brother was in high school, Mike and Carol were helping to get Young Life started in our hometown, which is a youth ministry. I'm so glad to have him here with us. Mike, as I joked earlier, speaks from many, many, many years of experience as a father, and now a grandfather. He's the the uh, father-in-law of Stephen Watson, our assistant pastor, and Father of Lindsay, so welcome, Mike, this morning. Thank you. I wouldn't say uh, that would be many, many, many years, but just many. Just one many. Just one many. Uh, this morning we're talking about wisdom. Uh, there's my family, the Harris family. Got uh, three daughters, a uh, son, a uh, Son-in-law, which most of you know, and a daughter-in-law, an incredible super wife, Carol. She would have been married 34 years this year, this, this month, and uh, she's awesome. And I was listening to the radio on the way over here, on the way to church this morning, they were talking about this rich guy in Mexico that may be the wealthiest man in the world, you know, multi-billionaire, you know, but sometimes I think when I see that picture, I feel like, like I'm the, the richest guy. You know, in terms of what real wealth is, you know, this this is uh, the investments made in this area uh, far outshine investments made by that guy. I have a I have a feeling. So, but anyway, it's been a great ride with that bunch. Um, Carol and I have been here probably I think three, maybe four years. We're going on that, and I have to say, what a blessing it is to be a part of this body. I know, I think God really has His hand on this body. There's incredible things going on. There's a lot of growth, and uh, but we're really excited. I know in our elder meetings how exciting it is to hear about the story of new birth, and uh, that's spiritually and physically, as our nursery testifies, but uh, the stories of changed lives, the stories of, of what you are doing to serve one another, to minister to one another, to, to come alongside each other, They're happen- it's happening a lot with this group, and it's so encouraging. Uh, here, especially since it's Father's Day, I want to uh, say what an encouragement it is for us also to, to know about there's so many strong dads, there's so many strong men in this body, really. And that's unusual in the church today in America, but we've got a lot of strong men who are working hard and they're, they're growing in their faith, they're uh, leading their families, they're, they're making a difference in this community, and it posts. And so before we get into the Word, I just want to say great job, dads. you got to keep that up. Uh, you know that uh, probably there's no better investment that a man can make than to pass on a spiritual heritage to the next generation. So you're doing a, a critical thing, an essential thing, an important thing. So keep on keeping it on. I also appreciate that uh, there's guys in the in the room who, are for a variety of reasons, don't have kids at home. Maybe you're single and you don't, you're not married. That would be one reason. Um, you're a granddad like me and the kids are grown, but, but you also have an essential role in this body. That God's placed you here, 2012, to serve and to, to function within this family. Uh, you're modeling in front of our young men and women what a man of God looks like in all phases of life. So it's a critical function. So we thank you for your service here. And that's, that's what families do. We're a body that each part is important. Well, we're doing a summer series in Proverbs, 
And Proverbs is a uh, interesting book. It's a book designed for teaching and instruction on how to do life. It's meant to be talked about in groups, discussed, dialogued. Uh, you notice there's 31 chapters, and no one topic is exhausted in one chapter. It's kind of mentioned here, uh, mentioned another way, but a little different nuance in that chapter. And then a few chapters later, it's mentioned another way with another nuance, uh, meant to be discussed in context with the other stuff that's in the chapter. So it's, it's a dialogue about life. Uh, we see in Proverbs that he uses, the author uses comparisons and contrast to illustrate his point where he illustrates, say, the wise man and the foolish man, or the diligent man and the lazy man. We see these comparisons and contrasts as an effort to teach a point. So this morning, we're going to read excerpts from chapter 4. So if you look in your Bibles, if you didn't bring your Bible, we have Bibles under the pews. It's on page 529. I'll be reading out of the New American Standard. It's a little different, but it's kind of the, it's pretty close. Let's read together. Let's stand together as we read God's Word. This is instruction from Him to us. So uh, let's receive it that way as we read. In verse 10, chapter 4. Hear, my son, and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded. If you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they do evil. And they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And then he repeats, Pay attention, my son, to my words. Down in verse 23 he says, And watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious lips far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the paths of your feet and all your ways will be established. Let's pray. Father, give us insight into the things that are on your heart regarding wisdom today. Pray that you'll sear them deep in there and you'll make changes, Father, as you see fit as a result of our time together. Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, I'll just cut to the chase. When it comes to parenting, and by the way, before I, this, this, we're talking about being dads, but I think there's application here for everyone, dad or no dad. These are life principles, leadership principles, uh, applicable to where, whoever you are. But we're addressing dads. But when it regards to parenting, the goal parenting is to raise kids to be wise. That's the point of the book of Proverbs. This is necessary because in Proverbs 22, it teaches us that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Therefore, they must be taught to not be foolish or naive or innocent. Here's a picture of our family. Some of you all know this family. 
And this is Abby, my two-year-old granddaughter. And this is how she sees the world. She says, Mommy, when you get older, your hair will slide down on your face and you can be a daddy. <laughs> you know, that's, that's how she sees the world. She's two. You know, and uh, the same goes for people that are in fourth grade or seventh grade or high school, uh, young adults, college. You know, they all see the world as they see it. That's just how they see it. But oftentimes, it's not quite accurate. They're in need of instruction in order to be wise and to grow from naivety to maturity. And that's why they're instructed in Proverbs to have a, a teachable heart as they grow. So this morning, as we look at being wise, we're going to look at it in three ways. We're going to look at what is wisdom? Where does it come from? How is it taught? And how is it taught? Caught. So let's look at it. What is wisdom? You can define it a number of ways. But a Jewish scholar defined it as competence in regard for the complexities and realities of life. The ability to to be sensitive to all the nuances of life. You know, the vast majority of all life decisions don't come with rules, do they? uh, There's a lot of possible good answers sometimes. Uh, Like, uh, should we buy this house? Should I take this job? Should I take this raise? Uh, Should I date this person? Should I marry this man? Um, with my child, should I be strict or should I give mercy at this moment? There's no right or wrong answers to those things. It all depends on the situation and we need, therefore, wisdom and to know what to do when. You know, science, advanced education is good, but it doesn't help when it comes to making those life choices, does it? Being morally excellent and being merry moral, that's good, yet wisdom is so much more than that. Talent's not enough. Giftedness, beauty, intelligence, they're all good, but they fall short when it comes time to knowing what do I do? What's the situation really like? What do I do? How do I do it? And when do I do it? In fact, doing the the right thing at the wrong time oftentimes leads to disastrous results. Uh, Feeding the poor, for example. Sometimes that's a good idea. Sometimes it's disaster, depending on the situation. For those things, we need wisdom. We need to be wise and we need to teach our children to be wise. We see in James 1, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Ephesians 1, 17, Paul prays to God on behalf of the the believers in Ephesus to give them a spirit of wisdom and knowledge and revelation and the knowledge of Him. So Paul prays for wisdom. So we see ultimately, though, that God is the source of all wisdom and He gives it to us as we ask and as we pray on behalf of those we lead. Yet, we also see that one of the primary ways He gives wisdom is through by teaching and instruction and modeling of older mature people to the younger. Like many of our spiritual principles we see in the Scripture, God is the one who takes the responsibilities for the inputs into our souls, but yet He instructs us as His ambassadors and as His vessels to be about the work of ministry in the lives of people. You know, just opening my Bible... 
to that opening on chapter 4, you know, we see, Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father. Give attention that you may gain instruction. Verse 10, Hear, my son, accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. My son, give attention to my words. Incline my ears to, to my sayings. Listen to me. You know, clearly, the word implies that God expects dads to be intentional and thoughtful to the task of instruction to their kids and their families. To the goal that they would be wise. How is wisdom taught then? You might ask. This passage, as well as others in Scripture, 700 times to be exact, uh, describes the journey of life and wisdom to be a pathway. A pathway. Proverbs uses this metaphor to describe this little narrow trail of worn down turf that you step by go down, step by step, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. Seldom do you run down a path because it's crooked, but you walk down it little bit by little bit. You know, sometimes in life we have epiphanies, big events where we have major learning experiences, but generally, over time, life is learned step by step, little by little. Elizabeth Elliot describes the, the Christian life as a long obedience in the same direction. Teaching with repetition the basic truths of life results in habits, and from habits come behaviors and attitudes. It all adds up to character. Character and wisdom are developed as simple principles are taught step by step and reinforced. Oftentimes they're taught at an early age and these ingrained qualities that are taught often manifest themselves down the road into adulthood, both positively and negatively. That's why in Deuteronomy 6 we learn that these things shall be on your heart and you shall teach them to your children when you sit by your, in your house and when you walk down the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and we teach our children as we do life with our kids step by step, day by day. Dads, I think you've realized that that takes time. It takes a lot of time. And oftentimes, especially as a young dad, it takes a shift in our personal priorities from the way we used to do things. You know, golf and, uh, and hunting and all the guy things we do sometimes get set aside in order that we can be available for our kids. You know, I don't care how important you are on post or around town. You know, when your six-year-old daughter has a piano concert, that becomes top priority. This is done so that we can enter into our kids' worlds. We don't ask them to come into our worlds. We go to where they are. You know, as a young dad, I'm a, I'm a music guy. I was a music major. I listened to music. I played music. And uh, I'm not an athlete, which might be surprising with these large muscles. <laughs> but as a young dad, I learned how to be a uh, little house on the prairie dad. How to be a soccer dad, never played soccer, baseball dad, a basketball dad, a gymnastics dad, football dad, a cheerleader dad. Had to wear several hats. You know, we just do what we have to in order to take the time to know our kids. We need to know their fears. We want to know their passions. We want to know who their friends are. We want to know what their favorite color is. 
And that takes time. You know, as they travel down the pathway, they're confronted with choices. We see in verse 15 through 19 in this passage an illustration of contrasting responses to instruction. We see a negative progression of a person that chooses unwisely. And we see a positive progression of what happens to the man who goes down the path of righteousness. And we see the fruit of those choices. It begins in verse 13 where the teacher urges a student, take hold of instruction, guard your heart. It's coming ahead. Be careful up there. But when a person chooses the foolish path, we see it leads to a lifestyle of self-absorption. Described as those who stay awake at night thinking of people who are obstructing their life agenda. This is followed by emotions that come in the form of comparisons and envy, covetousness, and even wishing harm on others. This person sees all of his life issues through the grid of self-interest and ultimately ends in a place described in verse 19 as darkness, out of touch with reality, unaware of the circumstances that are continually tripping them up in life. They're unaware. And things that are amazingly obvious to others, their folly is obvious to others, yet they remain to seem to be unaware of their sin, the impact of their sin, and they remain victims of their own self-inflicted blindness. Kind of like a boxer who is being pummeled by the consequences of his unwise choices. You know, verse 19 says, they do not even know over which they stumble. You know, our culture is filled with a generation of kids that are on that negative spiral. A culture where they are not trained, they've never been mentored, Dads have not carried the ball. That is not the legacy we want to leave for our kids in this room. Proverbs teaches young learners, avoid this path. It's clear, avoid that path. On the other hand, we see the contrast of a person who chooses the path of righteousness. One who responds to wise instruction and builds his character and insight that way is like the sunlight at dawn. Each minute it gives a little more light, a little more clarity, a little more appreciation and discernment for his environment and those around him. This kid slowly builds his life upon a foundation of truth, discretion. You see fruit in his life of love, joy, peace. That is the prayer for our kids. Amen? How is wisdom caught? We see in verse 20 that a wise dad is not content with behavioral compliance or outward conformity, but his instruction is given like a laser to penetrate a heart. He wants the heart. He knows that the kids that are only compliant on the outside will not be able to stand when adversity comes. He knows that it's out of the heart that words, as it says in this passage, his eyes, his perceptions, and his behaviors follow. This verse describes the heart as a wellspring or a spring, a moving body of water, not a pool, but a place that's a source from which other things happen. The term heart is not a physical description in Scripture, but it's a metaphor of what you believe really deep down way down. It describes a place that defines what we must have 
in order to receive life joyfully. It's a place where we get our greatest love. It's a place where we get our our greatest hopes. It's a place of our beliefs where we get significance in our worth. The heart is continually looking for a glory to merge with. Something that when merged gives meaning and significance to our lives. Wise dads are continually looking for clues to see where our kids are looking to satisfy the yearnings of their young, developing heart. Where are your kids looking to answer that question? What must I have to be happy? How do we answer that question as adults is another question. When we ask, what, when I have this, when I've got this, then I'll be significant and life will have meaning. Or maybe ask another way, what is it that if lost, life would not be worth living? What are the answers to those heart yearnings? Is it money? Collected money? Is it career success? Which is a big deal in our body. Guys moving up the ranks. Uh, perhaps for some of our moms, maybe it's having a happy, successful family. You think, well, that's not a bad thing unless it's the, it's our, it becomes the ultimate thing in our heart of hearts that we must have that. For kids, it's often recognition or approval of their peers or the cool culture. Uh, even here in our church, some, some adults struggle with the approval in their hearts. They, they need the approval of their, of their brothers and sisters here in this room or their spiritual leaders. Uh, underneath that and coming from that deep heart thing is, is their works of service, good things, service and ministry. But yet the motive is their deep need for approval. Let's look uh, at how this works. <clears throat> let's pick, let's say if your, your heart's deepest yearning is for career success. If that's the case, then all of our life choices are made through that grid to accomplish that purpose. We make choices day to day that contribute positively <clears throat> to that end. We take jobs, sometimes ones we hate, in order to have that, that goal This heart condition extends to relationships uh, where it reduces people around us to being those that are contributors to or obstacles to our heart's goal. People that are contributors, we love them. We want to be around them. We surround ourselves with them. People that are viewed as obstacles, we have to distance ourselves. We have to get rid of them or co-opt their behaviors. This heart disease impacts marriages and parenting relationships as well as our spouses and kids are viewed deep down as contributors or obstacles to my passion of career success. Sadly, this person is unable to respond to the needs of our kids based on what's on their best interest because we view them as how they affect me. We see that insidiously, all of life's choices submit to our idols and our passions. Whatever they may be. That's why the teacher warns kids to watch over their heart with all diligence because it's out of the heart that all of life flows. The skillful dad understands the truth in Proverbs 9 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One 
is understanding. He understands that a child's view of God will determine his heart's passion. A child's view of God will determine that heart direction. A wise father warns and carefully instructs with all intention and creativity that a heart that bows down to anything other than the living God will be a life that will be on, set on a pathway of disappointment, disillusionment, one that leads to self-absorption and ultimately darkness. How do we shape a child's heart to be wise? We pray, as we saw in Ephesians 1, as Paul did. We model, as we saw in Deuteronomy, doing life with our kids. We instruct them, as we see in Proverbs. We walk along the path day by day. We see their struggles. We see their failures. We see their efforts to perform and try to find identity in the things that the world's screaming at them. During these teachable moments, we communicate to them that yes... You have failed. You are broken. You are blind. Those unwise choices that are filling the vacuum of your heart will lead to pain. We teach them that. And we teach them that only God can fill the vacuum of your yearning heart. We teach them that yet we are unable to meet God's favor on our own. We're broken. We're sinful. And that separates us from God. Yet God made a provision... For that brokenness. He made a provision in His Son Jesus. He lived a perfect life that was acceptable to God. He paid the penalty for my sin that I should have paid. He paid the price for our redemption. He forgave our sin. He fills us with His righteousness. And through the power of His Holy Spirit, He enlightens our eyes and empowers us to live and to do good. Our Savior makes it possible for us to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. We are broken. We are in need of a Savior. Romans says that God demonstrates His love for us and while we were yet sinners, separated from Him, broken, Christ died for us. He's been offered to us as a gift from our Heavenly Father. One that we must personally receive. One that I must personally receive. And you, my child, must also personally receive. Dads teach conspicuously these things in front of our kids with our lives. Our lives are the strongest teaching tool we have in our toolbox as dads. We teach and we testify in front of our families, He is my joy. He is my righteousness. As your dad, the Lord is my confidence. In Him and Him alone do I have my identity and significance. I am made by Him. I am loved completely. I have His approval. I don't need the approval of others because I'm approved by the One who really matters. Therefore, I am free from the lures of success and all the lies that Satan pours out at us. Because I am loved perfectly, I can live in humility, without defensiveness. We can serve and love others based on what is in their best interest, not on how it affects me. In our homes, we celebrate that He is always good in all things. In Him, we will rejoice. We will pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. 
We'll be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we pour out our heart before our family, our Father. And the peace that surpasses our, our understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Our life message teaches that His provision is sufficient, is abundant, His timing is perfect. He is my Father. He made me, Dad say. He loves me and He delights in me. And my child, the same is true for you. He made you. He loves you. In Him will you find satisfaction for your deepest heart yearnings. Amen? The Lord has instructed us as parents to pray and to model and to instruct and to love our kids unconditionally as God has loved us. We model what He's done for us. We teach this and we model this because it is right. It's true. Because of what He's done for us, we can testify with confidence with these truths. It is true. You know, our Father made and loves our kids more than we do. He's the one who made them. It's His desire that one day they would worship and serve the King of Kings. He's placed them into our homes and into this body so that we as parents and a body may, may invest in them and train them so that they would grow up to be wise, discerning warriors for the Savior. They'd be equipped for battle in the right hand with weapons in the right and weapons in the left. Useful for the extension of His kingdom in this nasty world out there. That they'd be wise and they would be bold. Our prayer is that they would love the Lord, their God, with all of their heart, all of their soul, and all of their mind, with all of their strength. He invites us as dads to lead the charge. That's our assignment. And I wish I could say that if you did this perfectly, uh, that every kid would see and bow their knee and believe. But we all know historically that that doesn't happen. Some kids through the years have chosen to walk as fools. But ultimately, ultimately, that's not my responsibility. There's an age of accountability where kids, what they learn in my home and in this body are responsible between them and God. They have to choose. It's God's responsibility. What He does and when He does it in the lives of people is not... I have no control over that, do we? Salvation and transformation are His. And that's a good thing. Because in my home, uh, my kids' parents, Carol and I, were broken, imperfect, and messed up a good bit of the time. Yet, God in His mercy uses broken, imperfect vessels like us to do His work miraculously. And when He does, and when our kids respond, it's not because of what we did, but it'll be to Him who gets the glory. Amen? Well, many of you guys, again, are doing so well and are such an encouragement. And again, I want to just encourage you to keep on keeping on. It's critical. It's important. Some of you may be sitting here going, man, i got some work to do. 
I need today to begin to walk with God myself. I need to lay aside the the junk that I'm doing and I need to start walking with God again. I want to be a man of wisdom. We can't make disciples unless we are one. Right? Perhaps you're here and you've never received the gift of God's provision for your sin personally. You know, perhaps God's stirring right now and you're going, yeah, there's something going on there. That's no accident. If you sense that, I encourage you to follow up with that burning in your heart. That's God speaking. And uh, do business with Him. You do that. You pray. You bow your head and you say, Lord, I am broken. I need a Savior. I want to receive the gift of forgiveness for my sin through Your Son Jesus that I may know and walk with You and enjoy You forever. Find my delight in You instead of all this other stuff that's been so disappointing in my life. That's available. That's an important decision. If you were leaning that way, we would love to visit with you. Our pastors are here uh, during the week. We can visit after the service. So I encourage you to follow up with that. So guys, as we conclude, if you're a man of GBC, if you're here visiting, if you're a man, would you stand? I just want to pray for you. Guys, married, single guys, if you're a grown-up man, stand. Well, ladies, these uh, these guys before you here are the men that uh, in 2012 God has placed in our body to lead our church and our families. I pray that you will pray for these guys. Are they perfect? I think we know not. We know that. You know that. But yet, pray for us. I pray you'll be their support. I pray pray that you'll be their strongest cheerleader as they endeavor to do a difficult thing, which is to lead a charge, to be a man of God and to lead the families. So let's pray. Father, we thank You for these men. I thank You for placing them in this body. I pray that You would fill them with the knowledge of Your will in all spiritualism and understanding. Bless them, protect them, strengthen them, that they would grow in their walks with You, and above all, that they would love You with all of their heart and their soul and their mind. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. We're dismissed.